Hi, I'm Jen Horn. And I'm Ayan De La Torre. And you're listening to Mooney on This, the show where we talk about the challenges and possibilities in creating a more mindful and livable world. This episode is brought to you by Forest Foundation Philippines, a nonprofit that supports projects that empower people to protect and grow our forests and restore our connection with the natural world. Learn more about them and how you can make your project happen via forestfoundation.ph. Hi there, it's Jen. This episode is not one we initially intended to produce, but after hosting our gathering for Letters from Nature last May 15, we felt that we needed to capture some of what had transpired in our event and share that with you here. If you listened to our last episode on writing climate stories with Padma Perez and Mabi David, then you'll already know of our collaboration with Agam and Habilin for the Letters from Nature project. We're also producing an episode to showcase some of the submissions for the campaign from Alex Paredes, Thea Serrad, and May Padilla, with some reflections from myself and my Mooney on This co-host, Ayan. If you haven't listened to either of those episodes yet, then you might want to check them out after listening to this. For now, you'll be hearing the segment of The Gathering where we listen to a piece written by Padma, from the perspective of a seed, as read by spoken word artist Jam Pasqual. After Jam's reading, you'll hear Mabi having a chat with Padma about her piece, her creative voice, inspiration, and how Padma also delightfully turns the tables and asks Mabi some questions herself, also with some questions from our guests during the gathering. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for Letters from Nature, a reflective and creative session brought to you together by Muni, Habilin, Agam Agenda, and Forest Foundation Philippines. So what we want to ask as we come into this gathering is how might we use our empathy and imagination to reconnect humanity with nature? So it's our hope that This project invites you to reflect and reconnect with nature with the question, if you were a more than human being, what might you say to humans today? And so as we gather today, we want to share stories and creative works that reconnect us with nature. We want to harness empathy and imagination for nature. And most importantly, we want to connect with a community of fellow humans who want to use creativity to help protect and restore nature. So hopefully that's what brings you guys here today. And so we'll have a brief discussion with Padma Perez and Mabi David on getting started on our creative process. And we'll hear more from them after the spoken word artist, Jam Pasqual reads, Padma's piece from the perspective of a seed, as featured in the book Makisausau, co-edited by Mabi. We have met. You probably don't remember me, but we've met countless times before. Take me in your hand. Listen, this is what it's like to be me. I live in many places, 
I am born and reborn. I feed multitudes. And yet, most people barely notice my kind and many just throw us away. Do you ever feel like this too? In some ways, we are alike, you and I. But my relatives know the sky. We know the rain and the deep darkness of the earth. Some of us treasured ones have lived thousands of years. There came a time when we were treated as though we were not good enough. We were taken from the fields into laboratories to be improved upon, they said. So we could produce more food, withstand storms and survive droughts, they said. This was all very good. We were kept in the cold, away from soil, water, sunlight, pests, weather. So we could last, they said, for safekeeping, they said. This was also very good. Then, instead of producing, saving, and sharing us, farmers had to buy us. Men, women, and children forgot our names. They forgot what we look like, feel like, smell like, where we come from. We became the patented property of companies. We were no longer free. Shifts toward the modernization of agriculture ushered in monocultures, hybrid seeds, and genetically modified crops. Many farmers have been convinced to make the shift, abandon their traditional varieties of rice, fruits, and vegetables, and give up producing their own seeds. With the advancement of new farming techniques, biological diversity and cultural diversity are rapidly eroding. In the last 100 years, you have lost three quarters of your food diversity. This means your options are dwindling. There is still time to reap the knowledge I have to give. If you will notice, we are everywhere. And in some places, we are loved. There is hope. In pockets of resistance around the world, farmers and gardeners, both urban and rural, are saving heirloom seeds. They're not putting their precious genetic resources in seed banks. They're putting us in the soil. They're passing us on to neighbors, friends, children. They're keeping the power of seeds in the hands of local communities. They celebrate their own capabilities and knowledge. We wait for a time when our worth in the soil will be celebrated more than our weight in money. We wait for a time when the right of farmers to produce and share seeds on their own land is protected and upheld. We wait for you to wake up to seed time. Don't take too long. There is no perfect time to start. Hold me in your hand. Hold me safe. Rediscover life, death, and rebirth with me. Keep time with me. Listen to my stories. Tell my stories. Share me. Grow with me. So I'd like to now invite Mabi David and Padma Perez to our virtual stage. And so Padma is the lead strategist for creative collaborations for Agam Agenda. And Mabi is a co-editor of Makisausau. And she's also the partnerships and advocacy lead of Good Food Community. So yeah, take it away, ladies. Thanks, Jen. Thanks again, Muni, Agam, Habilin, Forest Foundation for hosting this conversation, this, this chance to reflect 
na our connection and dependence on nature. Thank you, Jam Pascual, for the reading. And of course, thank you, Padma Perez, for sharing your work. We have met in Makisaw-Saw and in today's event. I just have a few questions. And I'd like to start with Jam's reading. I appreciated it a lot because it made me realize that I actually heard the poem differently in my head. Uh, I heard it as a woman's voice, a young woman's voice. Hearing it in a male voice imbued another layer of meaning, a, a different kind of meaning for me. And, and I'd like to start with that. How was it for you? Of course, it's an honor, right, to have a spoken word poet read my piece. Um, I wouldn't say it's a poem, though, because there's some science essay parts thrown in, in between the seeds on words. So thank you to, to Jam Pascual. I still feel weird. <laughs> I still feel weird about it. Part of it is also, strangely enough, when I was in my teens, all the way up to my 30s, the voice in my head when I wrote was a man's voice. And I always question that. Why is the writing voice that I hear a man's voice. And I think it was only when I hit my 40s that I finally heard myself rather than having to switch to a male voice to write. I know that probably sounds weird, but <laughs> but that was how I that was how I experienced it when my I guess my voice came into her own, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what struck me hearing this was before hearing Jam's reading, I hadn't realized that, that I had finally gotten rid of that um, male voice. So hearing my work read back to me in a male voice reminded me that, oh, I've, you know, or showed me that I've managed <laughs> to bring forward the woman's voice in my writing. That's, that's one. Also, I was reminded of seed school, a seed school I attended, and one of my classmates um, said that in her work, she's a gardener and she's, she's gay. And she said she and her friends have been trying to find ways to talk about plants without having to gender them. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as a way to get away from heteronormative speech mm -hmm. around plants, because we say the female parts of the plant and the yeah. male parts of the plant when we talk about plant reproduction, right? And how seeds are made. And she had such a simple solution, which was, we talk about pollen producing parts of the plant and pollen receiving parts of the plant rather than saying male and female uh, parts of the plant. And she said that's so important to um, LGBTQI plus A farmers and gardeners because sometimes the language can be alienating and very cis-dominated. Mm -hmm. so, so I guess being a woman and writing that piece about seeds and then hearing a man read it um, with so much skill and dramatic delivery drove that point home for me. I agree. I think, think that's a great point to, to think about later when we enter the breakout sessions, right? Uh, why, how, how comes our perspectives or speech acts are often so gendered? And perhaps it's an invitation to, to do away with it, perhaps, for some, no? Going into your choice, you chose to speak from the point of view of a seed from this more-than-human being. Uh, what prompted you to choose it? 
And how did you imagine, you touched briefly on it, but perhaps you can unpack it a bit more, how you imagined a seed would speak. Does it contain mm. multitudes of speech? And you also had two speech acts, right? So very lyrical one and a very scientific one. Would you say that both instances opened up certain things that the other couldn't? Yeah, I think so. Well, I wanted a seed to be able to talk about what's done to it and what's not done to it. And I also wanted the seed to be someone we could relate to, not something we could relate to, but someone. And so that's why I have that line of, you know, we're, we're somewhat alike. And and I was so thrilled to see in several of the entries that we got for letters from Nate, they also included that line that we're alike, we're not mm-hmm. so different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such an important thing for us to to think on. So that's one. That's that's one thing why I decided to write from the point of view or with the voice of the seed is also to make the seed a relatable person in a way. Yeah, we we take for granted seeds, right? I, I, before working with farmers, I used to think it's just seeds, you know, but it's the very germ of life. And when you think about that, it's it's quite staggering and you really hold it with such reverence. Can you talk briefly about your work in Global Seed Savers and how it informed this poem a bit more? Yeah, so before Global Seed Savers and before our founder and my dear friend Sherry invited me to attend a seed school, I also never gave seeds um, much thought and didn't make that association of how important they are and how disconnected we are from them. So. I attended a seed school and one of my favorite parts was when the teacher said that farmers should feel the power to say that they hold the world's future in their hands when they're holding seeds. And I thought that was so was so true, but that's a truth that's not part of our everyday mm-hmm. life, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so Global Seed Savers works with smallholder farmers and supports them in saving seeds, not in seed banks where you control the temperature and all, but saving seeds through production and planting them and sharing them and doing exchanges. So that also, as you plant the seeds, they adapt as well to the changing climate. Writing about nature, especially what's being, perhaps what's being done to our seeds now, and this is this has something to do also with majority of what we received uh, for, for the submissions. A lot of them proceed from a place of rage. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't be angry at what's happening with the world right now? It's a, the soup of despair and indignation and just rage. You've always struck me as someone at least more evolved than me when it comes to your responses. <laughs> How do you make sure that your response, what you write, is nuanced? Because something that's also one note can, can alienate people. And, and you want to proceed from a place of empathy, of connection, right? If we're going to have to act together and create change together. How can we do that? In writing? Yes, in writing. I'm still learning. <laughs> but I find one thing that works for me and also that works for the things I read. So 
So when I read something, the ones that really speak to me or that I feel strongly are the ones that are, are more specific and more detailed. So in fact, if I were to write another version of mm. We Have Met or the story yeah. of the, the seed, I think I might try from a specific seed's point of view, right? Like um, the seed of a dandelion or or the seed of a Nara tree. How different would that be from just seeds in general? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I would... I would have to learn more about Nara. I would mm-hmm. have to learn about its its history, its yeah. ecology, and I think that would put put me or anyone who wants to to try that in a better position to write with empathy and and with knowledge, um, having that <laughs> having that research background on mm-hmm. on what you want to write about. So. So I, get, I, I would say that, like, like be specific. So if you're writing about a dog, what kind of dog? If you're writing about an insect, what kind of insect? Water, what body of water? And so on. Yeah, specificity counts for, for a lot in creating that, that nuance that invites an, an, an empathic response. And just listening to, to Jam's reading earlier, uh, it made me think of how would a seed sleeping in a seed bank sound versus a seed in soil, right? Right. You could also do a really specific setting. It doesn't have to be the the seed that's very specific, right? Mm -hmm. So if you were to revise this hybrid poem, you're saying that you perhaps you will write it from the point of view of like a seed from a tree of a tree, right? Or perhaps... I remember you keep talking about Regina Abuyan's work and how much you admire it. It's it's uh, told from the point of view of, of a dog after Typhoon Haiyan. So not just a dog, like in the streets, but after Typhoon Haiyan. Um, can, can, you, can you share with us what struck you deeply about it, why, why the work really resonates with you? Well, the work, the dog in the story gets separated from, so she's a mother and she has puppies when the storm is coming and she, the way animals do, she can sense that it's coming and she mm-hmm. tries to move her puppies to a safer place and she tries to tell her human that something dangerous is, is coming their way. And of course, the human doesn't sense it the way the dog does and, and ignores the signals. After the storm and all the loss uh, and all the death, the, the dog lost all her puppies, but she's reunited with her human, with one of them. And when she sees him, she knows that he's also lost his family, just like she lost hers. Um, and she's, she's happy to be reunited with him, but she tries to tell him that there's a way of knowing Mm-hmm. And there's a way of paying attention. You just need to listen. And that's that's an ongoing practice, an ongoing thing that, that we're learning. And I think that's part of what we're trying to do this afternoon, being mm-hmm. all together, gathered in this weird space, is to learn how to listen and to learn how to pay attention. And if we're listening, how do we learn more from that? How do we get to know what's around us so that we can empathize with what's around us, immediately around us. We don't need to go far away to nature to experience it. Awesome. Thanks, Padma. So 
I think we can now open the floor to questions from some of our, our fellow artists in this in this event. Well, I, while we're waiting for for some questions or comments, I mean, I just wanted to say that maybe you yourself are doing very interesting work of engaging with uh, more than human or other than human species because you work with what's the name of the bacteria again? <laughs> Aspergillus orizae. There you go. <laughs> Tell us more about it. It's my turn to ask. <laughs> it's a mold. Uh, so I grow mold in my home. Uh, I love fermentation a lot. <laughs> and and I grow Aspergillus orizae uh, koji to make miso and, and shoyu, soy sauce. Yeah, and, and, and I've if there's one more than human being that I, I really feel connected to, it's, it's molds. I love how quietly they transform themselves in the right conditions. I love how uh, they grow independent of human intervention. <laughs> I mean, we can try to control as much as we can. But really, it's it's all about the life of this these bacteria um, and, and and how they can just take over. And it's I think it's a, such an important life lesson for some for for a type A personality <laughs> to, sur- to learn to surrender. <laughs> right, right. And what they what they give us is so rewarding. I guess. Yes. yes. Right. It's nutrition. It's it's good food. So for me, that's like it's just an amazing relationship to to cultivate because you do mm-hmm. try, you do cultivate it right because yes. you don't even see the individuals you just see the results of your yeah. trying to engage with this species that's so mind-blowing actually <laughs> and i guess if i were to write something from the point of view of the mold it's going to be a, like a, a collective voice Right. Yeah, I can't imagine yeah. it as an individual sensibility. So exactly. And and that tells us a lot about how we're going to survive the climate crisis, right? It's not going to be as individuals but as collective. Yes. We have a question from Terence. Notice how Padma just look over and <laughs> not to get to be fair, I'll answer also. To be fair to Mabi, who I just ambushed with love, what keeps keeps me going? Well, people who are interested in in what we do as writers keeps us going. And now I'm speaking of a collective. And one teacher, and I'm sure many teachers have said this, that whatever it is you want to share and write about, it's going to matter to somebody out there you might never know who but if it matters to you write it because it might there is someone else that it will matter to Mm -hmm. deeply so so that's that's what keeps me going what about you Mabi? I agree it's it's the work of the collective the community like and seeing these community pantries come up community kitchens it's I mean there's no room for for despair when you're seeing action by ordinary people coming together. Yeah. But there's, an, there's a great question here. Um, what is inspiring you lately? How and where do you get your inspiration? And I guess I'd like to add a little bit more. How important is inspiration for you, Padma? Like, do you wait for it? 
to to write? Uh, I don't know. I have a weird relationship with with inspiration because it doesn't come when I need it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so another teacher said to me, and I'm really bad at this. Said to me, you just have to sit at your desk because if you're doing too much, when inspiration does come, and let's just say when an idea does come, and if you're not at your desk, you can't work on it. So I guess it's that it's and that's again that's still something I'm trying to um, develop or learn is is being ready to work on an idea when it comes. But in terms of inspiration that just also keeps me going rather than inspiration to to write because I don't I I I don't know what inspired writing might be like to be honest because it it feels like it feels like a lot of work sometimes but I am very inspired in the work we do um in Agam Agenda by my colleagues who are all super committed policy wonks and it's because they're so committed to creating change in the policy world and bringing science into the policy world, I feel our work is strengthened by that. And I'm inspired also, of course, by people doing work like UMABI and Good Food Community, people who are really on the ground um, and doing work where it's, where it's very much needed. And of course, Global Feed Savers also continuing to do their work through the lockdown. Okay, so I think this is a great follow-up question from Lisa Hall. She's working on a whale empathy project and also mm-hmm. creating a story from the whale's perspective. Do you ever get the criticism that we don't know the perspective of others that we can't know and therefore cannot speak for them? For me, I think this in-between space between science and creativity is really important, but how to satisfy both any thoughts? Especially you, you have both those speech acts, Padma, and to a great extent that, that perhaps that, that says that one, one point of view, one speech act cannot fully comprehend or capture an idea. Yeah, I don't think we can claim to speak for anything or for anyone for that matter. I think that's a dangerous claim to make. And when we make it, when we make that claim, it has to be done with a lot of self-reflection and it has to be done I think with a lot of actual contact with the being Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. we would like to speak for but while it's true that we may never know what a whale is thinking um, or feeling again there is the truth of our own empathy and our own experience of coexisting with the whale if that makes sense and something like a question I always grapple with when I think of um, the birds for example that I see in the city I always think what would the world be like for me personally if these birds were no longer here and I Mm -hmm. think it would be very different and so it would be interesting also to think what would this world be like for me if the whale were no longer here. And certainly you can speak from that space, um, mm-hmm. I think. And that, that's very important to, to, to deliver those words from the whale and from the ocean. So 
I wouldn't let that stop you uh, or anyone for that matter. Because although we might never know what their perspective is, we can certainly get to know them. And that, and we can write from that, that knowing each other, I suppose. I hope this helps. But yeah, like you said, Mabi, I had in that piece I wrote from the voice of the seed, and then I would switch to this kind of talk about the science and, and all that. And I don't, I don't have an answer for why I did that. Mm -hmm. But I, but like you said, it really felt like it would be, it wouldn't ring right or sound right for the seed to talk about what science did to them. The seed does, but in its own, like in a very different language than how I describe seed patents and, um, and that impact on economies and on people's well-being. So, but you know, the split between science and the humanities wasn't there before. It's, it's fairly recent in our history um, and in academia, it's also, a fairly recent and carefully guarded boundary and I and part of the work we do at Agam Agenda is to try to blur that boundary if not break it down completely because it's not helping us understand our situation fully. Mm. I'm I hesitate to end but I'm getting flagged <laughs> on the side. Uh, do we have time for one more question or although it's a big question uh, from Colin? Uh, for now, we'll just take one more question because we also want to engage people in the breakout groups. Okay, thanks, Jen. So Thank from Colin, and this I think this touches on the work of, of Agam. How can poetry reach a larger audience to influence the debate around climate change? We're still working to answer that question. <laughs> we, we just believe that it will or that it can. Uh, but certainly, as we already discussed in the answering the previous question, science and poetry have different languages and they address very different things. And the, and what poetry does is it moves us um, emotionally. It moves, science moves us intellectually. We can know all the facts and not have any feelings about them. And sometimes, you know, the facts of climate change are so overwhelming that we just shut down and don't want to feel anything about the climate crisis. But the hope certainly is that poetry can give our hearts what we need, the strength that we need in order to do the work that's going to assure a kinder future, not just for future humans, but also for future non-humans. The hope is that poetry finds its way into the halls where policies are made in subversive ways in order also to maybe flip a switch um, that needs to be flipped real soon so that policymakers feel the urgency and act on the urgency of, of what's happening to the planet. Okay, thank you, Padma. These conversations with you are always so nourishing. And thanks to everyone who engaged. Uh, we hope to read everything and perhaps answer some of the comments or questions in the chat box. So thanks, everyone. And over to you, Jen. And with that, we hope this discussion sparked some ideas for you to start writing 
or perhaps for you to start a conversation with someone about the last time you felt truly connected to nature or a more than human being that has had a significant presence in your life or an important lesson that you've learned from nature. Letters from Nature is an ongoing project which will be sustained by your submissions. You can take part in the project by sharing your letters on Instagram with the hashtag lettersfromnature and tagging muni underscore ph, that's m-u-n-i underscore ph, also tagging agam agenda and habilen underscore, or by sending your submission via bit.ly slash lettersfromnature. You can also access our Letters from Nature conversation guide through the link in our episode description, and you'll also see there a link to the online gallery produced by Habilin, showcasing some of our favorite submissions for this project. This episode was brought to you by Forest Foundation Philippines. It was produced by Muni, hosted and written by Jen Horn, featuring the voices of Mabi David, Padma Perez, and Jam Pasqual. It is edited by podwiz.com.au with music by Diego Mapa of pulsewavestudio.com and branding by Sirius Studio.